Welcome to Foam Talks Rewind, a new podcast format that we are putting together to reflect on the past year in photography and also to touch base with some of the inspiring artists, writers and thinkers Foam has collaborated with over the past 12 months. My name is Katie Hundertmark. I'm assistant editor at Foam Magazine and hope you will find our conversations thought-provoking and inspiring. Please meet my lovely co-host, Amelie Schule. Hi everyone, I'm Amelie, head of projects at Foam. My team is producing the podcast and as Foam Talks is celebrating its first birthday, we wanted to do something special for the final episode of the year. Our guest speakers are Lissandro Suriel, Angela and Carol, Tommy Ka and Jem Fletcher. At the beginning of 2021, we announced the current Foam talents and launched the talent issue, an edition that most of today's guests are actually connected to in one way or another. And we're really curious to hear their thoughts and experiences from the past year. So let's get started and hit rewind. It's my huge pleasure to speak with foam talent Lissandro Suriel, whose work Ghost Island was not only featured on the cover of the past talent issue, but which has gone on an impressive international journey throughout this past year. Welcome, Lissandro. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so good to speak to you. It's been quite a while that uh, that we've seen each other or spoken, right? Yes, it's been it's been a while, but I'm happy to be back and to give you this update on what took place <laughs> since you last spoke. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So our idea behind this podcast is to take a moment at the end of this long and um, busy year, 2021, to look back and maybe share some anecdotes or reflections on what has been going on for you, your peers, uh, what's been happening in your work. From what I can see online, it looks as if you've just returned from an incredible time in Milan. <laughs> so I think we're all very curious to hear about that. Uh, but yeah, tell us how you're doing. I'm doing great, actually. I had a wonderful time in Milan and I'm still processing that experience. Uh, I'm very thankful to have had that experience. And that was that experience has also been made possible in part through this foam talent uh, selection uh, this year. Um, and looking back at this year specifically, I would like to say that for me and I think my peers, or and specifically um, people who have who have voices who are more or less marginalized. I think that through the pandemic, that democratization of all these platforms through Zoom discussions, um, online exhibitions, the, these things have made all of these very established platforms more accessible for people like us so we can more easily take part in the conversations. Because most of my time in 2021, I was here in St. Martin doing work And I was also having all these talks and meetings from right here in my living room or bedroom. And I think before the pandemic, that was kind of unheard of for someone from at least St. Martin to participate in a foam talk and give a presentation or an exhibition um, right here from this island. Yeah. So I think that is a very beautiful uh, experience. That's a really beautiful anecdote indeed. And it's funny that you should say it in preparation for our conversation. 
I was uh, I was looking back at your work, of course, and um, was was caught a lot by by the use of the word collective memory and collective imagination, which of course you bring into play in, in various different ways, um, both in the the images but also the film. But I was also wondering how this new digital collectiveness is affecting your your views on it, or how yeah how the maybe the shifts in how we you know communicate globally add or yeah what they specifically do to this collective awareness maybe you've partly already answered it but um yeah well, i think it's a beautiful um, thing or movement or development that technology like this helps us to all be a a a source of knowledge or to participate in that conversation and to contribute to the collective because my work is all about um, kind of decolonizing um, through deinstitutionalizing in a sense that I do not want to look to certain institutions um, to validate knowledge or as a source of knowledge in particular. Um, because when it comes to at least what I'm talking about, about Caribbean identity, um, but I think about identity in general when we talk about um, who we are as human beings, that we all can or we all have the right to contribute to that discussion. And um, Facebook, um, virtual exhibitions, um, Zoom talks, all of these allow all of us to participate um, to a certain extent. So we all become nodes of information through that process. Yeah. Keeping this in mind, thinking about your short film that you've been working on throughout the year, um, a Ghost Island short film, Uh, how have you been distributing this? Has, has that also been online? Uh, I've see, I see that you've moved to, from festival and fairs to, to the next. Um, how, how, how is this film living or where is it living? Um, at the moment, it's living a very uh, clandestine uh, <laughs> existence. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I kind of showed it th um, at two film fairs until now and at Photo Vogue Festival. Um, and I'm very kind of careful with showing, because I want to kind of show it in spaces um, in which I can un um, help people to understand it better. Um, so I don't, I haven't kind of put it online as a free for all yet, um, but where this film will be, I'm still in talks with um, a few people to see how best to um, to screen the film yeah. and also I would like to have a, also why it's not online at the moment yet or at least at that capacity that where people can find it quite easily is because I would like to do a special screening at home because um, that, ha that hasn't happened yet and I feel like that is a very important thing to do to include um, the community that helped to produce the movie and to share that story in a proper setting where I can literally invite people to discuss and they can also share their own stories. Again, this uh, collectiveness, uh, bringing people together into the space. Yeah, that is very important in my work because uh, that whole Caribbean-ness, Caribbean nature, those ghost stories, it's all... Um, built on a foundation of storytelling. So our ancestors, for example, um, who even before the, um, our ancestors were, ancestors were enslaved, um, griots and storytellers were 
part of imperial court systems and they were teachers um, to society and they all sat um, under trees or in courtyards and they shared stories and lessons of the past, of ancestors, of spirits, of history. Um, storytelling has always been very important and storytelling happens in a community setting. And in terms of <clears throat> these images that you're now kind of bringing into the conversation and, and have in mind, are there any images, could be photographs or visions, dreams, that came up in 2021 that you want to take into the next year? Is there some, yeah, some image that uh, you, you want to remember and, and take forward? Well, a lot of my images are inspired by um, ghost stories that I've heard or that I have experienced <laughs> myself. And I think 2021 was one of those first years where I came back home to St. Martin and kind of saw the space with new eyes, with opened eyes, as it were, um, after having started the research on this project. And St. Martin's been pretty wild, <laughs> if I'm honest, when it comes to um, the imagination that it produces, because there are outrageous stories here. Like, for example, there's a story where these people this is a friend of a friend's story, um, but they were, for example, they walked along an abandoned road in the middle of the night and along these abandoned roads, because in St. Martin you have a lot of vestiges of colonialism, so almost everything on St. Martin used to be an old plantation. And along this abandoned road, there's this wall that was built by enslaved ancestors. And in the back of this, there's this wilderness that used to be a plantation ground. And walking along there at night, it's one of the main roads on St. Martin, and it's quite deserted at night. And walking along there at night were these two gentlemen. And one of the gentlemen, for some reason, decided to peer into the bushes. And in those bushes, he saw a lake with a sailboat. And there's no lake or sailboat there. It's just purely um, bushes and shrubbery. And then he turned to his, he turned to his friend, and his friend, he, he asked his friend, "Am I crazy or am I seeing a lake with a sailboat?" And then his friend looks into the bushes and he sees the same thing. And they look at each other in silence and they just continue walking. So these are some of the stories that um, Saint Martin is. That, or that comes with an island experience, like, yeah. <laughs> wow. like that is the market. So you have so so the this storytelling is quite visual actually, and that is really a driving force behind the project. And then what I am then interested in is why we imagine our realities like this, or why we experience our realities like this, and what does that say about our identity? So those are one of those images that I'm definitely going to explore as to why there was this kind of imaginative or imaginal realm within this plantation, old plantation space. So if I understand correctly, the idea that images kind of come to you through the landscape or through through the subconscious and through your camera, then you, you kind of capture them or bring them into, into be or into a, at least a visual being. Yes, it's an engagement with the reality here. I think that's, that's how I would word it. It's, uh, that's why it's a documentary of imagination. That's why I describe my work as a documentary of imagination. Because it's not things that I make up. It's things that actually surface 
through the various um, imaginative or imaginal faculties of both me and the people around me. And the space is very evocative of that as well. Because without the landscape, I think that's why working in location is also very important for me. And actually being in the spaces that I'm working about. So working on St. Martin, when I was in Brazil, I was doing things in Bra about Brazil, or even, uh, even I was doing it about St. Martin, but then it would tie me to the spaces in Brazil or in St. Martin. It, just being in location, on location helps to kind of channel that imagination that takes place there. Because identity is also um, in relation or an engagement with not only what happens in your past and future, but also what's directly around you. So it's an, it's an, it's an exploration. And also a beautiful bridge into my last question. Um, while we're looking backwards, I'm also very curious to hear what you're seeing in the future or what maybe we can expect or um, be curious about for your next year and the projects you uh, are working on or looking forward to working on. Basically, do you have any beans to spill? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, w one of my goals for this year is to extend the project or do an iteration of this project um, beyond uh, these borders of St. Martin to kind of not have it to nationalize um, this project and to kind of compare imaginations, kind of do a comparative imagination analysis, as it were, with other places. And a place where I particularly would like to visit is Suriname, because I believe that's one of the, 2022 is the year that I feel I should be going to Suriname, because what I believe is to be found in Suriname is this kind of untapped source of imagination that has been taken for granted in the Western world. Because a lot of people um, who talk about Suriname, we discuss it only within the Kingdom of the Netherlands. But beyond that, nobody really knows anything about Suriname. And even people within the Kingdom really don't know anything about um, the true decolonial nature of Suriname. Because Suriname is very, very um, decolonial um, in its imagination, in its philosophy, from what I have found and from what I have heard. Um, because I've done an interview with um, someone from the Saramakan tribe, and I can do a, a project lasting five years and beyond just on that one interview alone. So I'm very curious. So I'm very curious as to what the space will commune with me uh, for this project. Sounds like a very rich uh, new new saga or new yeah new lake to dip into or subject to to dive into. And very important also, as you say, to, to, to visualize these stories and to, um, yeah, to actually make, make them heard um, without or uh, pushing them further and further out into um, yeah, different collectives or communities and, and people. Yeah. And it's, I think it's good to kind of talk about these things, at least within our communities, to give names to them or to communicate that we all have these kind of same experiences and that we all have, because there's this underlying understanding, at least living in these kind of spaces in the Caribbean, that there's always something more to reality than meets the eye. 
and it can be in a very spiritual level that you believe um, in ghosts and spirits and entities. Um, but it could also be in the sense that you know there's more to your circumstance. You know there's more than your um, social economic reality that you've been deprived of through certain events in history. So there's always this, no matter how you look at the, the Caribbean space in the Black Atlantic world, there's always this relation to identity where you feel like there's, there's, some, there's either something more to it or there should be something more to it. Yeah. And I think that's what this, what, the, what this project tries to explore, how we can express that. Well, thank you very much for giving us this uh, sneak preview uh, sounds fascinating, and um, I'm sure we're all uh, refreshing our Instagram roles to to see updates and and see see some insights into yeah into your findings and into the the stories. Yes, I'm very excited about this next chapter, and I'm hoping that everybody is going to be as excited as I am. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Because sure I, I can't it. wait. To, I, I love to tell the stories, so I have yeah. lots of lots of stories to share yeah. with people. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> or I could listen to you for hours, and I'm sure our listeners as well. Um, but I think sadly we have to wrap it up here. Um, but thank you so much for uh, yeah for joining me today and giving a, a few insights. Uh, yeah, we can't wait to see what comes next. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I am ready to deliver <laughs> what is nice. coming up next. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ciao. What an inspiring conversation, Katie. It was very interesting to hear Lissandro's thoughts on digital collectiveness and the role that the internet plays in creating collective awareness. We had a lot of conversations around this ourselves. For example, when we decided to develop the Foam Talent Program for 2021, when we decided to completely move it online to be independent from travel restrictions and lockdowns. And of course, this also ties in with us rethinking our public programming and how we engage in audiences in a time when moving from one place to another is not a given anymore. Absolutely. And, you know, although the internet has been available for a long time now, it really feels like the reality of COVID-19 has introduced a whole new way of using visual media and social platforms to communicate, tell stories and activate conversations on global issues, but especially for sharing and spreading knowledge. And speaking of which, actually our next guest has kindly put together an extensive list of references um, and, and influences that have shaped and nurtured her thinking throughout this past year. Please welcome the incredible artist, archivist and writer Angela N. Carroll, who calls herself a purveyor and investigator of art history and culture, and whom some of you will recognize as a contributor of Sugarcane Magazine, Black Art in America, and also for Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thank you. Uh, so, so grateful to be here in conversation with you, Katie. Yeah, it's nice to finally meet. We've had uh, many email conversations throughout the past year for several issues of Full Magazine, um, and I'm very curious to, to pick your brains today and, and hear um, what you've been up to over the past months, uh, how your year has been and, and how your year in photography has been. Yeah, let's jump in. Through your work, uh, you, um, you analyze or you, you concern yourself with images in, in different ways, whether it be 
images um, through writing, photography and film um, that deal with or explore the African-American experience. And I am curious to hear whether there are specific images um, that have stuck with you throughout the past year that you find are important to take on into the next year uh, for yourself, but maybe also for your readers um, and, and your audience uh, to share. Yeah, um, thanks for asking. And I, I think there's so much um, that we should all celebrate, you know, that came out of this year. Um, many of us have been in a kind of recovery, like getting used to being around people again, um, getting used to go to major fairs. Um, and uh, and it's there's a sort of meta pandemic, right? There's the pandemic, the virus, right? That's been floating around. And then I think that there's a kind of larger pandemic of, of gross kind of ignorance uh, when it comes to the safety and protections of, of non-white bodies throughout the world. Um, and, and so we've seen a kind of reckoning, right? Across the gamut of artists responding to um, these myriad pandemics and us as a kind of human you know, species being forced to either confront these issues head on or, you know, to sort of deny uh, these issues uh, head on. Um, and this is from, you know, anything, uh, anything in regards to um, our identities, uh, in regards to our environment, right? Um, climate change. There's so many, so many issues that have been brought to the fore and it's been really uh, compelling to see Uh, so many artists, uh, writers as well as visual artists or artists that are moving, working within time-based media or moving images, uh, confronting and addressing uh, and querying um, the realities of our world. Uh, I think I'll, I'll start off by saying that uh, I, the film um, Centropy uh, by Dina Lawson with uh, director of photography Bradford Young was uh, a significant highlight um, for, for me um, to witness um, the artist, a uh, very well-known African-American um, photographer, uh, documenting and telling in some ways her, her process and her practice and her influences, right? That much of her love of photography is coming and her, her way of looking, right? Her way of sort of... Um, thinking through and thinking about the gaze um, comes from this very loving foundation of documenting her family, right? And her, and her family documenting her. And it's, um, it's disturbing that we don't often see um, films uh, or static images that uh, regularly enunciate black joy and black family in in ways that are celebratory and also just humanizing right like not over the top just like beautiful and mundane and i think centropy was a was a beautiful example of um the history of making of lawson but also a, you know a beautiful reminder about the the astounding work um consistently astounding work of director of photography um, cinematographer uh, Bradford Young, uh, who continues to just go above and beyond in his in his in his practice. Um, also, want to give you know, and I was in conversation with some of these artists, you know, but uh, Lissandra Suriel and um, Plantation um, have also done some extraordinary work this year, and so it's been significant to see 
um, their work get off the ground um, and to see so many people positively responding to um, their images of, um, you know, for for Suriel, he's thinking about this notion of magical realism, but also um, the sort of mythos that inform um, African culture, Caribbean culture, um, and elevating in some ways um, these these folkloric traditions through this incredibly elaborate um, uh, photography work in these um, utopian landscapes um, with these epic this epic costuming, <laughs> you know, just everything everything about his work is just so delicious, and he's uh, incredibly humble. Um, about his practice and process. And so it's been really beautiful to see his work getting uh, the exposure that it, that it deserves. Um, Plantation um, also is a Nigerian artist um, who is now studying uh, in, in Paris, I believe, um, finishing up her graduate studies. And much of her work, you know, is, is not reverent, um, deals with and is thinking through you know, what, what does it mean, you know, to embody a sort of PTSD, right? What does it mean to think about mental health, uh, in relation in, in a, in a black body? Um, how does one ever sort of recuperate from the, uh, the meta violations or the meta traumas of, of being in uh, a post-colonial world, but still suffering with, um, a lot of colonial mentality, a lot of colonial legislation, um, that still, uh, prohibits, uh, black life to, to, uh, exist, uh, without, without brutality, uh, and without violation. And so it's been beautiful to see the progress of her work, um, uh, in, in that she is expanding her practice and process to continue to think through these themes and to think through her own, um, identity in relationship to, uh, to these, to these themes. Um, uh, I, I would be remiss to not, uh, talk about the recent acquisition by the Met of the, uh, James Vanderzee, uh, collection. And, um, for those that are not familiar, James Vanderzee is a significant, um, African-American photographer, uh, based out of who comes out of and really enunciates the Harlem Renaissance, right? A significant era of black creative genius, um, from the, you know, late 1920s into the 1930s. Um, we have a lot of, again, a lot of geniuses who come out of this moment. Um, Alan Locke is writing a lot at this time about the new Negro and Langston Hughes is coming out of this movement. Zorna Hurston is coming out of this movement. Um, and all of these artists are really trying to think about this notion of uh, really forwarding the work of, of W.E.B. Du Bois, thinking about like, what is, what is it to be black, right? And, and many of the questions that are coming out of artists from this movement are informing what we now understand to be and what many artists continue to trouble this, this notion of black aesthetics, right? And so the, um, what's significant about James Vanderzee's collection is that he has, you know, I mean, I'm saying thousands, but that's probably an understatement, right? Like there are sig a significant, uh, prolific collection of works um, that now, you know, need to be identified. And there are a lot of other uh, photographers uh, whose works we are finding are in a similar sort of position in that they, we have extensive bodies of work from a collector who is documenting a particular era, um, but 
we don't have any understanding about who the people in the in the uh, seat were, right? We don't know who the subjects were, who 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 those that were posing for the portraits were. Um, and we know that if we go down a wormhole, we will learn about, right, because photography at that time was a very expensive medium, right? Um, and so we will learn about who these people were and, and one imagines the significance that they had in their respective communities. Um, we are doing a similar sort of, you know, rabbit hole chase with another notable uh, African-American photographer uh, named I. Henry Phillips Sr., um, who was a notable photographer of... Uh, a significant historic region called Pennsylvania Avenue in uh, West Baltimore, uh, Maryland, in the East Coast of the United States. And he's similar to Van Der Zee. He's working in the 1940s through the 60s, 70s. But he's documenting a significant era uh, also of Black creative genius within Baltimore. And that strip um, in Baltimore was akin to, you know, sort of major strips in Harlem at the time, Billie Holiday is performing there. Cab Calloway is performing in this region. Um, so we, uh, Red Fox is coming to perform in this region. Muhammad Ali is coming to this region, right? Um, and so these, uh, it's important to note these significant histories that are just now sort of coming to the surface and that there is an interest, right, by institutions and also by researchers to really dig into who these people were and um, who these people were documenting. Um, that, that work is, is so important. Um, I also want to note, uh, and I think all of us have been sort of cooing over uh, the release of Tyler Mitchell's book, um, I Can Make You Feel Good, um, which was just a, an extraordinary uh, example of emerging, you know, if we can call them emerging at this point, probably not, right? But younger, <laughs> younger photographers um, who are doing uh, extraordinary work to sort of queer the lens, uh, to uh, diversify uh, the lens and really um, compel us to think about um, Black subjects in new and more nuanced ways. Um, and I think that uh, the collection put together by curator, writer, um, Antoine Sargent is another example of this as well, The New Black Vanguard. Um, his book is a significant um, collection of emerging and established uh, African-American and not just African-American, but uh, black identifying photographers from across the African diaspora who in uh, this collection really is sort of a continuation of the work that Dr. Deborah Willis um, has been doing for, for decades, right? Um, to identify um, not just the history of, of uh, black photography, the ways in which we have used photography, um, you know, to document, but also to counter or as um, Dr. Linda Day Clark, uh, a local photographer here in Baltimore notes, to do battle, right, against long, long histories of, uh, that have made stereotypes um, and spectacles of black experience, um, but also to elevate, right, to bring more attention to, to historicize, to canonize um, these artists. And we know that there's, you know, 
even with well-established photographers, there's still a sort of divide within institutions where because photography is such a young medium, right, um, the ways in which photography is collected, the ways in which photography is exhibited um, are still, you know, not necessarily balanced in the same ways that other traditional fine arts forms are. And so I think that that is uh, beginning to shift and will continue to shift over you know, the next, the next few years, as we continue to see more uh, really prolific and very promising and talented uh, photographers come into the fore. And also as we continue to review histories of photographic accomplishment that are outside of the Western canon. First of all, thank you very much for all these amazing references. I've been trying to keep up typing or writing them all down here on the side. Um, I think it's so important what, what you have just done to not only look back at the last year, but actually to span a much, much, much wider uh, history or, or um, um, yeah, story that led us, leads us to this year and to, uh, to recognize and, and, and uh, mention all these fantastic writers and uh, photographers, artists who have, in a way, um, you know, walk, walk the steps for the new contemporary young artists to, to be doing their work now. Obviously, uh, you have an, an interest in the archive. I'm just wondering if you could share some uh, insights or anecdotes from your, your current projects with our listeners, um, yeah, in the background of all that we've just um, touched upon. Sure. Um, so I am, you know, I am excited to, to have released uh, in the last a uh, few weeks, actually, a limited edition uh, catalog called Exploring Presence, African-American Artists in the Upper South. And um, one of the artists is a photographer. The others uh, work in mixed media, assemblage, sculpture. Uh, and all of them are artists who are based uh, and have uh, stayed primarily within uh, the DMV region of of the Mid-Atlantic, uh, basically the DC, Maryland, Virginia region, and but who have made significant imprints on uh, on the art world with the artwork that they have created between the 1970s into the contemporary moment. Uh, two of the artists uh, have transitioned, Ed Love and Tom Miller. Uh, the other Eight artists uh, are still alive and active. One of them is uh, Joyce J. Scott, a sculptor and mixed media artist and performance artist. She was the 2016 MacArthur Genius Award winner um, and has done significant work to um, have us thinking about, you know, the sort of uncomfortable uh, realities of our world, um, sexism, racism, xenophobia, uh, a lot of the fears uh, that create violence in our world. But what's kind of beautiful and exquisite about her practice and process is that because she's a performer and, you know, is very funny and witty, she turns these really um, devastating issues and histories of violence into satirical uh, considerations, satirical sculptures uh, made with incredibly intricate uh, beadwork uh, and processes that come from uh, long quilting traditions, African-American quilting traditions, and also that were inherited um, from her mother, Elizabeth Talford Scott, who was also a significant uh, mixed media and interdisciplinary artist. Uh, other artists include Aletha uh, Devane, uh, Schroeder Cherry, uh, Ziza Claudia Gibson Hunter, Martha Jackson Jarvis, 
so many S.B. Frazier, uh, and each of them are, are dynamic in their own way. Uh, Paula Whaley, who is the uh, sister of the late James Baldwin uh, and works in doll work um, and, and also historically worked in fashion, uh, designing really, really beautiful hats. Um, but these, these artists are, you know, it's been an honor to work with them over the last few years. And the Exploring Presence project, you know, has, is released in several iterations, uh, first with the limited edition book uh, signed by all of the living artists, and then uh, secondarily with a short docu-series uh, that there will be screenings for in the spring, but uh, the docu-series can currently be viewed on, uh, on Vimeo, uh, vimeo.com slash exploringpresence. Uh, and in the spring, there will also be an exhibition uh, that will tour uh, briefly throughout the region uh, at Morgan State University, the James E. Lewis uh, Museum. Uh, so we're excited to have that exhibition uh, forthcoming, and that has been that has taken a lot of my uh, my energy and time um, lately. Uh, but I have, as far as actual you know full collections of photographers, I have been working with uh, Web Webster. Uh, Phillips, who is the grandson of, of I. Henry Phillips Sr. Uh, and also the executor of his estate to do exactly what the Met now is trying to do with the Vanderzee collection, which is to help him uh, I, and stage programming in the community, particularly with elders when it is safe enough to do so, um, to ask that, you know, to review many of the images within the collection and, and see if it triggers some kind of memory about uh, where uh, these images were taken, or as well as the subjects uh, therein, because there are some, you know, and, and there have been some instances where we, where uh, having a simple showing of the work has led to a lot of uh, discovery as far as old, uh, old industries, old traditions. Uh, as an example, there's a really famous image of a man holding with pliers a huge block of ice. And, um, and they would call him, you know, the Iceman. And, you know, back before the invention of a, you know, an electric refrigerator, there were just these tiny boxes, right? These metal boxes, and you would put ice in the box. And then that ice would then keep the, that box cold. And that would be your sort of refrigeration system. Uh, and so there were people that had to deliver those huge blocks of ice. And so, you know, the sort of generational gap, we see this guy with this big block of ice and we're like, what, what the heck is he doing? <laughs> you know? and, and, it, and, um, and Webster, you know, showed this to an elder who was able to sort of say, who was old enough to remember a time before, before refrigerators, before contemporary refrigeration, and remember that it was an industry that employed uh, a great many people, right? And, uh, and laughed about the sort of strength that it took to sort of hold these huge chunks of ice around the city, you know, um, without them, without them melting and without them, you know, just hauling them upstairs and, and, uh, giving people, you know, these ways to sustain the food, uh, in their, in their homes. And so lots of really cool discoveries like that have been happening with the review of, um, archival photographic collections, of unsung photographers in, in particular. And I imagine that we will continue to find other uh, photographers 
um, from, you know, the early 20th century um, and late 20th century who are, again, incredibly prolific, doing extraordinary work to document communities that are typically unrepresented um, within canons, within archives. And, uh, and hopefully we will, we have great success, you know, identifying the folks that are, that are the subjects of, of these photographers' uh, portraits. Such a beautiful uh, image with the, the ice cube and, and, and the tool. It somehow also makes me think of photography as in the frozen moment or the frozen um, history and how, um, yeah, through the use of different tools or, or, or knowledge and, and um, yeah, ways of dealing with this ice cube slash photography, um, we're now able to, you know, maybe melt things that were hidden inside the ice before or, or things are, as you said, resurfacing in our here and now, which have been kind of captured and always been there. Thank you very much for that. Awesome. Really beautiful to be in conversation with you, Katie. Take care. Wow, Katie, this was a jam-packed conversation. It's very inspiring to hear Angela speak about the discoveries made through archives and collections. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And there's still so much more to be said on all the topics we touched upon. One of the things I really took away from the conversation is the reminder to keep looking at the bigger picture and to do the work and consider the many steps that have been taken until this point of carrying the conversation forward. Having said that, let's move on to our next guest. Thanks, Katie. I had the pleasure to speak with Tommy Ka. Welcome, Tommy. We're pleased that you are here with us. And I'm going to just give some details about who you are. So you're a photographer based in Brooklyn, uh, in New York, and in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. You hold the MFA, uh, Photography of Yale University. You're a film talent. And most recently, you received the 2021 Next Step Award, given up by Aperture. Congratulations on that. That's super fresh. Maybe in this introduction, I think it's worth mentioning that you have a really good sense of humor. Uh, because on your website, you list your achievements and then you're ending it with the sentence, he's not garbage. I love that level of self-reflection. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am, I'm doing all right. Um, it's very, it's been a really weird week. So I'm just happy to be here. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. It's, I think we can all feel the end of the year coming closer and whatever it means, it, it's kind of making you think a lot. So I can feel that for sure. And I mean, you have been busy. You've got a lot of attention in the last months. And I, I'm super curious to hear, like, how was it? Like, with now with the awards, with Aperture, what is it about? Maybe you can give us a bit of your insights. Yeah. Um, it's been an, a, it's been a weird week, um, for sure. And I always think I would like attention. Um, but I don't think I like that much attention. Um, I am very happy with, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, excitement, um, coming up that I'm looking forward to, because I just want to make pictures. I want to make, um, continue making, um, these things that I feel, Like I benefited from uh, just having a lot of uh, meditation on my work and being able to look back through my archives and forming something new um, in the studio and trying to introduce that process. It's a very a lot of moving parts right now that I'm not really sure what they would 
will look like. But it's really the magic of photography is um, that I hope it will lead me to be surprised by something I'm so used to going out in the world and making pictures or staging them or bringing these um, really weird ideas um, together. And so I'm really, I felt like I haven't really um, spent a lot of time um, being um, receptive of the attention, mostly because I want to uh, do good work. I want to just make pictures. I want to be able to think about photography a lot more um and it's just been really weird i just hope i do a really good job <laughs> and make work that's exciting so is there something you'd like an anecdote or a reflection maybe that you'd like to share when it comes to being an artist working in a space that is also very personal like what has this year done to you man it's the year has been very brutal and very um surprising and very um I don't know. There's a lot of uh, up and down ebbs and tides of emotion and um, reflection, a lot of reflection and a lot of hope. I, what I hope, um, not maybe not through just photography, but with each other is this uh, form of empathy, a, a new way to understand um, each other, to really chill the f Can I curse on here? <laughs> oh, really? Chill the fuck out. Um, um, but I, I, yeah, I, it's the, I don't, I'm thinking of, I've been thinking about that. What I've really um, learned through having to sort of pause, but also be hyper aware of my surroundings and not because of the kind of dangers that have, risen up being um Asian, having an asian body in america right now and it is also being um pushing th it's also about pushing through and surprising myself and what is possible um i'm not sure how well i did it with photography as much but um, this year alone, but there was a lot of, at the start of lockdown, having to, un being unable to leave the house to make work, uh, and something that I'm really used to, and to have a time and space to start looking back to my archives, and then trying to, um, make something new from something very familiar that I sh photograph and then really consider, and now I've really, uh, I'm now it's cutting them up again and then re-photographing them and having that be reflective of my experience in the last year. It's everything's just uh, feels like seeing a piece of an overall picture, but not being able to see it. And it's just the excitement of trying to get there to see an overall picture to see the whole picture but really it's just seeing it in bits and pieces and like puzzles yeah it's, it's interesting how we have to also be patient because only in retrospect can you really see like what was the path and especially uh with this self-reflective work also it's that takes moments and also personal growth to maybe come to a point that you can look back and really grasp what was happening and what was really going through your mind and You mentioned a few times like this going to the archive like and like cutting up going back is it 
are there certain rituals that you have developed also for yourself that you can hold on to with? Uh, I do have a, a sort of ritual, but it's also, it just feels like housekeeping. It's just like I have to get my house in order, which includes my, um, my computer files and to uh, make sure that I have copies and copies. It's uh, this um, back and forth replica replication. Um, but I keep thinking about that, that space of go being able to go through back in the archive. It's not really about having being able to have that pause because it's feel not a lot of people not a lot of artists were able to do that um and it took a while for me but it i think this is probably the best anecdotal thing is that um being able to have this not um i guess being able to look back and then realizing that the languages that i, I i'm speaking now existed 10 years ago and that it's been there and that being able to look back at this archive, my own archive, it reminded me how much of uh, what I already know I knew back then. So I, I already have those pieces and it just reminded me that I, to be a, a lot more confident of my work, to trust the, the process, to trust picture making. And that even if I don't know, consciously it's it's there in the work and whether i we know it or not it's there and I've, i've i try to put that out there with uh teaching again this last semester with my students is that um we don't have to operate in things that are in the past too that we can choose the way that we want to move forward in this world and to bring things that we want to reflect in our own worlds and that I think it's a lot more possible now um, than before. So, And um, of course, this is a lot of like internal reflection, being with yourself, being with your work. Are there also people that inspired you? Do you have anything you would like to share? I would be um, a lot of women um, in my life and a lot of my um, black artist friends who there's just so many people I, I am immediately thinking of her. Uh, artists, uh, I would immediately think Laurie Simmons, who um, was my critic at, in school, and she has kept in touch and just has periodically texted me to make sure I'm okay, um, like where it was, if I was staying safe. And she's um, someone that has shown up to my exhibitions in the past. And she's, she's someone that um, has, is, I think of so much and has a lot of... Uh, I, I'm inspired a lot by her. Um, and then I think of the women in my life and especially the early Asian women that I've, I've been part of the self-defense group, uh, um, Sisters in Self-Defense. And um, after the rise in Asian hate crimes, um, there was this idea of where do we find the space that is safe for us, but also um, um, a sense of protection and learning and to um, defend ourselves and, It, I f suddenly found myself among these um, group of elderly Asian women who are still being attacked in this country and uh, and to see them, to be around them, that they are pushing themselves. To, they are pushing um, to find um, their own safe space and to be around people that are like them. And they felt really like a group I needed to be with that felt really safe to that felt really um that, that really 
the sense of community really inspired me too. So, yeah, what you say about the sense of community, I think, especially in this time, it's really something we are also craving and looking for. And it hopefully makes us more resistant towards whatever is coming down the line. And we can, of course, not know. Um, and maybe like you were here because we also worked together in a time you were part of film talent in a time and it was not easy also to bridge this distance because we're in Amsterdam, you are, uh, well, across the Atlantic um, uh, in America. Um, how was that like also learning to yeah bridge these distances in in a time when yeah the screen becomes your only way of communicating and of course you have the camera which is also a screen but you just have to find a new way to connect also in this sense of the photography community or um yeah your professional practice this reminds me of how i view photography as this visual language and language is a communal activity so it means that there's uh Uh, you have to have more than one person to um, uh, be part of this um, activity, which is um, communicating. And to think and talk and communicate in pictures is um, something I really connected with or trying to um, expand upon in the last years. And it's it's I feel like that's really true of photography and its nature and linking us and linking the past and the present and the future through this uh through these visual representations of the passage of time and i keep thinking how much more now that people can speak in photography whether they can speak in the right dialect or the right slang or the right kind of um, accent and that's what photography feels for me and where it's moving towards is allowing those spaces to exist and be defined by um, groups of photographers because that's what's possible now that there are so many of us it's maybe ubiquitous but the way that people speak photography is probably um, going to be the most interesting that comes out of this um, this pandemic and this ongoing pandemic and that these spaces are going to be filled and be spoken by different kinds of people. And I'm just so excited that we're so open to those narratives, to those possibilities. Um, and it, I don't think it would have been possible before. Maybe to come full circle, because I referenced just a few times already, your, how does it inspire you or how does this... <laughs> oh, man, it feels... Uh, I I think... I just, I, I terribly want to start a joke, but it's so early in the morning for me. I, I don't think my brain is working um, very much, but it's, I, I think that's so much, uh, much about humor and um, photography and art is that it's not, it exists, but it doesn't really have much of a seriousness to, um, to um, art photography, I think. Um, I feel that it's very dismissive that it, um, humor can't be um, seen as art. And I don't think I'm the right person to say that humor can be, but I think humor is such a 
great way to confirm an understanding when people laugh it's like do they understand some certain on a certain level the the joke or the punchline and the pictures and yeah man i really wanted to say something funny is there something you want to plug or us to keep an eye out for Oh man, just definitely the stairs. I've been falling down a lot. Um, just falling down the stairs. So I just um, look out. If, I'm in general, but I, um, for me personally, I, I am definitely avoiding the stairs. Um, I, I've really there's so many things. I feel I'm blanking on it. Um, but uh, the next step award, uh, I'm very excited to just um, be part of. The, to learn about how to make a book uh, at all. And I'm very excited to work with um, um, these people I admire for so long. And um, Leslie Martin of Aperture, um, we just had a meeting in it. I'm sorry I'm putting her on the spot, but just I'm excited I've um, to do a, a photography book. So that's the, the one thing I'm, I like to share um, because the, I, Never, I've never done it um, professionally before. So it's something I'm really looking forward to. Congratulations on everything. Hope you find the time to recharge and then, well, we'll follow along. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to listen to you and Tommy. And such a good reminder also that art making is meditation or that it can allow internal dialogues with oneself that help grasp questions around identity and our individual experience of being human. Yeah, indeed, that is an important reminder. It seems that this is a connection to our next speaker, Jem Fletcher. Hi, Jem. Welcome to Foam Talks, Rewind. And it's a pleasure to speak to you, just to give a bit of a context who you are. You're art director, writer, curator and podcaster. You describe yourself as a hybrid creative. So um, I'm super happy to have you here. And thank you for your time. And maybe we start off with how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I think like a lot of people, 2021 has been a challenge. Um, it's, been a, it's been a difficult year juggling everything going on with the pandemic. And then um, I'm a relatively new mum. I've got a two-year-old and then, you know, our industry has been quite shaken by everything during the pandemic. So I think there's been a lot to hold in this moment, but, you know, I'm feeling pretty good that I survived it. I can definitely relate to what you're saying. It's been difficult also, yeah, just to keep up a good spirit, but you've been really busy the past weeks. Um, you brought out a new episode of the podcast, Messy Truth, and you also started a column, a mini column with British Journal of Photography um, on mental health, actually, in this, it's titled In the Search of Ourselves. Maybe do you want to say a bit about this? Yeah, I, I've, that column is very close to my heart. So it's very much in my nature to question things. I think navigating the world as a queer person makes you very reflective because you can often feel like you're juggling multiple versions of reality. So through my work, I've always kind of tried to acknowledge the full scope of being. And I'm really interested in the joy behind the pain and the pain behind the joy. Um, and one of the things I've been thinking a lot about this year is really trying to get to that unmediated intimacy. Sorry, I'll start that again 
One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about this year is trying to sort of get to that unmediated intimacy and, and kind of facing things as they actually are. Um, I use the term unmediated loosely because obviously everything in art and photography is mediated, but I'm really interested in folk who are embracing the courage and experimentation to be permeable in this world. And In Search of Ourselves was all about permeability. It's about how our inner world shapes our experiences in the outer world. And I think we've all kind of given anxious thought to what would happen if we could release some of our struggle or trauma or pain to be in a circumstance where um, we could resist that temptation to hide it or disguise our shame or discomfort and have other people relate to us and kind of understand what we're going through. And what I love about photography and I've always loved about photography is that it's such a strategy to kind of delve into ourselves and make sense of our world and and kind of really get into that messiness. And one of my early introductions to photography was Nan Golden. So thinking about her work and how it radically altered our understanding of what photography could be um, it's always been quite central to how I think about other works. Um, one of the things I really love about that her work in particular is that it it doesn't maintain distance. It's really up close. It's honest. It's searingly personal. And that was kind of the work that I kept noticing uh, in the last sort of 18 months. I was looking at work across my generation in all genres from TV to novels, photography, painting. And so many young artists were grappling with the precarious positions of racism, homophobia, gender identity, and more specifically, how those things affect the landscape of our minds. So one of the first examples of that for me was Mae Martin's Netflix show, Feel Good. Um, that was just so intense. It was like a sucker punch to your gut as they kind of shared their experience through television. And one of the young photographers that I'm really excited about is Chance DeVille. Uh, they made a really powerful photo series called David's Mark. Uh, which is ongoing, which occupies a similar vulnerability to Nan Golden, using the camera as a tool to kind of describe and metabolise their personal trauma. So that these are some of the issues I've been looking at and thinking about um, in, the in the column. Um, many of the artists that I've been looking at kind of really engage with an intimate and painful confrontation with self. It's this act of turning the inside out and kind of acknowledging and holding space for a messy sort of entanglement with our ideas of freedom, our, our ideas of constraint and this willingness to kind of confront complex realities and, and kind of offer a counter narrative to the toxic optimism that can sometimes proliferate our culture and social media so some of the people I looked at were um, Anna Valerio, who grapples with the psychological landscape of love addiction, who's also been in foam recently. I think her work is so powerful um, and she really delves deep and sort of pursues this mission to untangle her relationship with trauma and intimacy, confronting both her past and present while activating this mutual relationship with the viewer and creating a space for us to be reflective, but also be accepted in that healing and kind of create a new beginning together, which I really like. Um, 
I also wrote about Andre Ramos Woodard. Um, one thing I really admire about Andre is that they are not interested in making you feel comfortable. Their practice is utterly disarming. It's a portrait of interiority that describes the turbulence of being young, black and queer in America. And it's just such incredible, incredible work. Um, I think a lot of what's come out of the research and the writing in the column is that these works are both cathartic while also being practices of care. They kind of create a safe space to confront these difficult truths and realities while simultaneously cultivating community. And I think that's so vital for healing. Yeah, it's super important, all the topics you touch upon, also the work that you describe. And I was curious when it comes to this discourse around self-care, healing, this untangling of all these um, issues or things we are confronted with. I always see, when we see this work, you also get um, into the question of how an artist can maybe also protect themselves or care for their own well-being while creating this type of work. And maybe I it was curious from your point of view as you are uh, very like encounter a lot of these artists working on this topic, but also researching it. Do you have some form of not advice, but maybe a observation, like or something to give when it comes to starting next year and we are continuing all to work? What what one can do or could uh, take on as a method of kind of dealing with this, also with this exposure for some of the trauma. I think it's such a great question and so important. And I always come back to this idea of readiness. I think we so often are on kind of a hamster wheel and we just keep going and going and going until we burn out. And actually, I think we need to, you know, one of the most important things we could do for ourselves is to check in with ourselves and think, you know, are we ready for this moment? And it's something that I have been trying to do over the last year or two. And sometimes it, I, I'm really good at it. And sometimes I'm not so good. It's, it's a practice you need to keep working on. But I think about it in all areas of my life. I think about it when it comes to deciding on what jobs to take on. You know, do I really have the time to do this? You know, can I fully commit to this? Or even how I interact with social media. I think if you you know, social media can be really detrimental and it can equally be super generative and, you know, empowering sometimes, but you have to be ready for what you might encounter. Um, so I'm trying to be more cognizant of what I allow to filter into my world. And I think, you know, that's something that both artists have told me that they do in various different ways. I know Anna talks about making sure that she takes time out when she's making her work so she can process and not re-traumatize herself, um, which I think is, you know, really, really critical. But yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on young artists to be making work and getting themselves out there. So really trying to pay attention to how they're feeling and kind of take care of themselves on that journey, I think is really important. And you mentioned at the beginning of uh, the conversation that there's also a lot of a lot happening in the photography industry, in the world of photography. I'm curious if there's something coming or what you can see developing, changing, coming into shape that you look forward to coming here to manifest itself? I think one of the things I have been thinking a lot 
about recently is that good ideas are no longer enough. I think ideas are the fuel to the creative industry, no matter what side of the creative or art world you're in. Ideas are everything, right? They're the center of how we feel, what provokes us, what questions us. And making great work is all about kind of great ideas. But I no longer think that's enough. I think we need to be engaging in not just making great work, but thinking about how we can support our communities or support our environment or do small steps in making a better world, essentially. Um, You know, we're faced with so many issues now. The pandemic has laid bear so many different things which we were perhaps not paying attention to or perhaps couldn't hold all in one moment but there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in our world right now and there's a lot of energy we need to place on trying to heal and mend and move forward on these issues you know everything from systemic racism to the state of our climate so I think it's really important now to think about the ways that individually or collectively if we work in teams or institutionally if that's where we work how can we be doing sort of a grassroots endeavor to try and move that forward Um, So an example would be there's a great agency that I know called Morning. They're a creative strategy agency and they've decided to devote some of their profits to um, young artists to help them to make personal work. That's always something that young artists struggle with, trying to get funding. And so that's been an amazing project to see emerge, to really facilitate a group that needs that help to sort of catalyze their career. So I think these these sort of ideas don't have to be hugely complicated. They can be really small gestures like offering some of your time to mentor people or, you know, volunteering in some way. But I think we all need to be doing a bit more than just making great work now. I think it's a good moment to reflect and maybe that can help to create this positive outlook or this feeling of being able to change things, to be in a role of activeness while we have been forced to be very passive maybe the last months. Yeah, is there any last thing maybe that you wanna give us on the way, where to follow you or what to keep an eye out for? Well, as you mentioned, I've just released a new episode of the podcast uh, with Ephraim Zanelli Mindell, who is a fantastic curator based in New York. Uh, You can find the podcast which is called The Messy Truth Conversations on Photography, on Spotify, iTunes, Acast, and various other podcast platforms. For those of you who might not know about it, it's a series of candid conversations which attempt to unpack the future of visual culture and what it means to be a photographic artist today. So you can find me in dialogue with photographers, artists, curators, commissioners, and editors discussing the complexity of image making and its relationship to a range of topics from representation to process, mental health, power, and many more. So I've got a few great episodes I'm really excited about coming out. I've got one with the Australian artist Ying Ang at the end of the year, and then Charlotte Cotton and El Perez early next year. Um, I've also been writing a lot this year. I've got a new essay coming out in Rhiannon Adams' new book called Big Fence, which is about Pitcairn Island. And I've also just been really fortunate enough to contribute to Foam Talent, which I'm really excited about. And I'm also developing a book about the visual representation of family. So lots to keep me busy. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm looking forward, of course, to delving into all of the 
in everything that's coming up, either the book or the podcast. I just listened uh, the recent one. So it's always good to have you in my ears. And thanks a lot, Jem, for, for being <laughs> with us today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I must say I'm really moved by Jem's words and her mission in general to address mental health through the photographic lens. I think it's so necessary to continue normalizing these kinds of conversations and visual manifestations, especially when it feels like life is more isolating than ever, right? I agree. It was inspiring to hear all of our collaborators reflect on the past year. To me, it shows how important it is to continue connecting with each other and to develop new sustainable ways of working together. A huge thank you to all guests for their time and generosity. It's always difficult to summarize an entire year of events, emotions, ups and downs, ideas and highlights. But we really hope that these four perspectives have resonated with you and will offer an exciting outlook for 2022. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Fom Talks is looking forward to another year of monthly episodes all about photography. Stay safe and stay tuned. Bye. Bye-bye.